Hi, I'm Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woohoo! This week we're talking about sugar. Yes, it is really hard to give up sugar. It's Easter today for folks who celebrate that, and it's also Passover. And like basically every other holiday, that means that there is sugar everywhere. Everywhere! It seems like if you're in any kind of mainstream grocery store or like a CVS or whatever, there's always an entire aisle of candy. Hey man, Whole Foods is not exempt. There's totally a pile of candy over there. Right there now. is. Yeah. There is. Yeah. Actually. We could go get some. No. But we're not going to. We're not going to. I just want to note that I typoed in the notes and when I wrote an aisle of candy, I wrote aisle like island. So it's like an island of candy. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) More than one needs, basically. Right. Yeah. Anyway, basically what I'm saying here is there is never a good time to give up sugar or to cut back on sugar because there's always the next holiday. There's always like, oh, well, maybe the Monday after the 4th of July. Like, there's just (laughs) always the next time when everybody's going to get together and eat all of the sugar again because it is a drug. We're addicted to it. It'll always be difficult. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. So why should we do it now then? Why not do it now? Why not do it well? We I did sh- it a week ago. Yeah. And I have to say, it's been going great. We're doing pretty good. Um, but it's going great mostly because I had a plan. So my thought was, why not share that plan with everyone? Like, yeah. step by step. We're going to do that. But first, we have to say the thing. The thing is, we are not doctors. We are herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States. These discussions are for educational purposes only. Everybody's body is different, so the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but we hope that they'll give you some information to think about and research more. We want to remind you that good health is your own personal responsibility. The final decision when considering any course of therapy, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by your physician, is always yours. Yeah. Not that I can think of any doctor that would probably say, no, you really shouldn't cut down your sugar intake, Buster. No, I'm pretty sure (laughs) that if you walked into any doctor and said, I have a plan to give up sugar, they would be like, that sounds like a great idea. Here's your blue ribbon. Yes, they would be happy about it. Best patient today. (laughs) Hey, we have some shout outs this week. Oh, right. Um, Amanda Maria, who listens at work and is drinking catnip, lemon balm, and Tulsi. That sounds really good, actually. Yeah. I think I haven't put those three together for a while. But it sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. We have a new podcast supporter, Ryan. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, We heard from Rochelle, who particularly enjoyed the How Not to Be a Guru episode. How to not be. Because how How, to... Did I just say how to... How to not be. So, So it's like this, right? And this is my little word word pickiness. What did I say? You said you said exactly what you wrote. Listen to me. So when we say something like how to not be a guru, if you really break down the grammar there, what yeah, that means is You're right, that is what I meant. Here are the ways that you should not behave when you are being a guru. And instead, what our episode is is how to not be. Yes. Rather than rather than how not to be. So yeah. how to not be is how to don't be one in the first place. Yes, that is actually what I really wanted to say. For all of you out there who wonder how much Katya and I are word nerds. That's um, about how much right that's, there. That's, that's, that that's is a, how much. At least that much. <laughs> in several languages, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we also have a shout out to Christine, who published her first book. Wow, we know what that's like. <laughs> uh, and loves to learn stuff on the podcast. Hey, I also know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Um, a shout out to JBiz1974, who wrote us a review on iTunes and said that the pod helps them feel confident in experimenting with herbs. So, yay. That's great. That's just what we like, really. We have another one to Hawthorne Holler, who wrote a review from Middle Tennessee and says they want to meet us someday. And that sounds great. I would love that. Yeah. 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 And also to I Believe in Parrots on Instagram, who says that the psoriasis suggestions from the podcast are helping her. Yeah. That Yay. was just a few weeks ago, I think. Yeah, the, pod- the psoriasis podcast episode. A few episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, for someone who is such a word nerd, I'm like failing on grammar today. They're in there. It's all over the place. That's okay. You're, you're um, trying new grammatical formations. 
to it's grammar free form to determine whether they are more efficient in the conveyance of <laughs> semantic packages. Weren't we talking about sugar? We were. Yes. Okay. So let's get to that. Right now, maybe first we should ask ourselves: Why would this be a good idea? Could it could it really matter that much? Oh, it's just sugar. Everybody has what, it. Everything the, in moderation. What's the point? Yeah. What's, what's the point of all this? Yeah. Uh, how about two big reasons? Yeah. And I think that these two big reasons kind of encompass all of the smaller reasons. I think basically any reason, well, other than it gives you cavities. Tooth decay. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. But all the other reasons besides it gives you cavities will fall into one of these two categories. And that is um, inflammation. Inflammation. And uh, endocrine dysregulation. That one's not as good for howling out in a protest. No, because a lot of times... You need a rhythm to it. Endocrine dysregulation. I don't know, man. No, it's not going to work. That's not going to work. All right, so... But these are big problems, you guys. They're huge problems, and they're actually... These two things are at the root of so many health issues today um, that it's kind of enormous. I don't know. Let's just talk for a second about each one of them. Let's start off with inflammation. Um, Besides the fact that... Basically, like, all chronic disease has a chronic inflammatory component. So that's uh, that's actually kind of enough already there. Yeah. Um, we, and, could, we could give you a list, but, you know, we try to keep these podcasts under 90 minutes. <laughs> and, but knowing that sugar plays such a huge role in um, the promotion of inflammation and knowing that inflammation is at the core of basically all of all chronic diseases, then we're like, well, wait a minute. If we could cut out a huge chunk of inflammation, what would that mean for the presentation of a particular chronic disease that you might be suffering from? I mean, it would mean instantly dialing it back. It might might not mean that it goes completely away, but it definitely is turning the volume down considerably. Yeah, definitely. So that's pretty important. One of the ways we think about about added sugars or refined sugars in this context is as an accelerant, um, which is to say like gasoline on a fire. Yeah. So the fire was already there, but uh, it might have been contained or controllable uh, until you threw the gasoline on it, and then now it's it's out of... Overwhelmed, yeah. yeah. Okay, so the other one there was endocrine dysregulation, and that is connected because when your body is inflamed, there are certain reactions that um, that are required in order to keep that in check to the to the degree it's it's possible to do so, mm-hmm. um, and that requires certain hormonal activity, and so that puts some stress on the endocrine system. But also, um, consuming uh, added sugars is is going to um, require some hormonal reactions just to cope with the sugar itself. You know, not not just its side effects, uh, not side effects, but its its um, consequences. But the sugar itself inside the body. This is where I get to say my favorite thing to say, which is that insulin is the most important of all of your hormones, mm-hmm. as decided by me. Because if insulin is wrong, you die pretty fast. So I think that's a pretty good reason to say it is the most important one. I yeah. suppose. That depending on your perspective, other ones might be more important. But, um, but this actually has served me really well. Like looking this perspective on insulin has served me very well personally and also in my practice, because insulin is something that as herbalists and as holistic health people we have a lot of control over. We don't like with natural methods you can't push your hormones around especially not at the reproductive hormone level you can't necessarily say oh well we're just going to you know like you can with pharmaceuticals we're just going to supplement this hormone and fix the problem that way hmm. by like doing hormone replacement therapy or by upping your level of this or that or whatever hmm. but so if you if you need to do that kind of a thing you're going to need pharmaceuticals for that but if you just have imbalance, that's something that we really can do something about, not by addressing the reproductive hormones, but by addressing the hormones at the top of the cascade, sort of like the dominoes that kick the whole thing off. Um, because we have a lot of control over insulin levels just by what we eat. And also there are a lot of herbs that can help 
um, regulate insulin levels, especially when you pair them with cutting back on sugar. And when the, the hormones at the top are in a balance that they expect to be in, it allows the whole rest of the system to function in a way that, that it too expects, sort of in a more optimal manner, a more balanced manner. Yeah. So um, not everybody knows what insulin does, and that's no problem. Because we can tell you. We're going to tell you. So insulin basically um, uh, is a hormone that's secreted in your body whenever you consume something that has carbohydrates in it, especially sugar. Um, also to some extent with protein, but that's going to be a minor consideration today. Uh, but so when you um, eat something and it has some carbs and you digest them and turn them into blood sugar and get them into circulation in your body, then um, your body notices and says, hey, pancreas, make me some insulin. And so it makes some insulin, and then the insulin goes around the body and says, hey, cells, open up and get the sugar inside of you, because that's where it belongs, not out here in the bloodstream. We need to keep some in the bloodstream, yeah, um, to feed the brain and make sure that it has enough fuel, but not too much and not too little. We want to keep it in the Goldilocks zone. So your body has these mechanisms to either take sugar um, out of the bloodstream and put it into the cells where it can do something useful, or else to put it into storage in some forms. And it also has um, other hormones that say, all right, let's get some of that stored sugar out and get that into the blood so that we can keep things in that nice Goldilocks zone. So that's all well and good, but it's easy for that system to get overwhelmed in our modern food environment because we have access, easy access, cheap access, mm. abundant, ongoing, 24-7, 365 access to lots and lots and lots of sugar. And this is an evolutionarily novel environment to be in. So our physiology hasn't entirely caught up to that state because, <laughs> look, this is something that's, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred years old at most. The, yeah. the degree to which people are, um, uh, are finding sugar available to them and are consuming um, amounts of it has shifted dramatically in a very short period of time. I'm not certain that it's entirely sustainable. Um, when you think about how our relationship with sugar has evolved over time and how much war and slavery was involved just in getting sugar production up to the place that it is uh, today. I, I mean, I don't know. A lot of times when you say, like, sugar is a drug, people are like, well, no, it's not like a drug. But we fought wars for it and we enslaved populations for it and... That sounds pretty druggy to pretty me. Pretty druggy to me. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. All right. It so, is delicious. So, all right. So there are some really good reasons, some far-reaching, uh, broadly applicable reasons why we would want to reduce sugar. But the point here today wasn't to just nail on sugar all the whole time. It was to say, <laughs> all right, we recognize that this is a problem. Everybody sort of already knows. Okay. And most people are already trying in some way to keep it in check or, or feeling guilty because it's hard yeah yeah or like cyclically going back and forth between one and the other yeah yeah so um our goal today was to talk more about how herbs and holistic interventions can make this more attainable yeah so the first thing i want to say on that is that this is one area where you actually can benefit from a half measure you know like a lot of times it's sort of like oh it's it's all or nothing like you you really have to do it not with sugar. Basically, any amount of sugar that you reduce is good. And you could just keep reducing until you get down really low. Um, one way that you can look at this is that the World Health Organization has guidelines that say that adults should limit added sugars to 20 grams daily. And that's actually pretty doable. It just means that you have to read labels and make some choices, kind of like having a sugar budget. Yeah, and that's and that's specifically added sugars. Right, right, right. So um, it's not like fruit. Right. Yeah. The food the food labels in the U.S. were recently changed um, to include a line for added sugars, which was a long fought battle. And you mm. know, it's it's good that we have that on there. Um, but yeah, so in packaged food, that's that's one place you can go to look for that. But Outside of that, um, you know, aside from your baking projects, this is uh, this is not something you need to be too concerned about. Like added sugars are not, like you say, in your apple or in your pear, right? Or in a in a in a whatever else. 
there are things that are added on top of the ingredients. Yes. Right? Extra sugar for sugar's sake. Or there are a number of... They they are an ingredient. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've used that guideline a bunch of times. Also, uh, with my daughter when she was younger and... I was trying to help her cut back on sugar, but she didn't want to get rid of all sugar. So she and I together worked with that guideline um, in in various cycles, and we just we used it as an awareness tool, and it really helped us to change some of our habits to recognize some things that were really sugar full that we liked, but also things that we could replace with lower sugar options that we also liked. Mm. So. I think that's a really good system when you when you have a sugar budget and you're like, whoa, I could have this thing and it would eat up my entire budget for the whole day. Or, I don't know, it's not like my favorite thing on the planet. What if I didn't have this thing and then I could have three other things that I, that I really, really like? Mm. You get to make those choices and also be building the awareness of where sugar is in your diet. So I think that that's really helpful. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing that can also be helpful if you're going to work with that strategy is take the first week or so to just gather data. So start recognizing how much sugar is in all of your favorite things, but also, and this is super important, so we're going to come back to this, um, start thinking about all the things that you love that don't have added sugar, because that's going to be a key strategy, really regardless of whether you're just cutting back or if you are going completely sugar-free. Mm-hmm. But when you start to realize, first off, like you start to become aware of the things that you love that have sugar, but you also are aware of the things that you love that don't have sugar or that have much less added sugar, then you start to build up a a sort of choice list or like a little menu of things you could swap in so that when you're feeling cravings, you could be like, oh, I want a Snickers bar. Well, or actually I would be happy with one of those paleo uh, pecan cookies that they oh, sell yeah. <laughs> that that have like very little added sugar and I enjoy that just as much. Mm. Um so that is a really handy um or even like or it's strawberry season and I would be quite satisfied with some strawberries and there's no added sugars in that. Mm-hmm. So so starting to like realize that you have options of all different things that you could choose and that they have different amounts of sugar and then when you want something, it's okay to want something. And when you do, then you can say, well, which of these options would satisfy me at the least sugar cost? Yeah. And that makes it easier for you to enjoy that thing. To say, yeah. ah, here's this thing. I like it. I'm having it now. I feel good about it. I'm not beating myself up about it. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. All right. So that's one option. But right now we are totally sugar-free which we're defining as no refined sugar, no added sugar, no honey, no maple, um, no fruit juice sweetened because that's just a high fructose corn syrup made from fruit instead of corn. Um, And that would be really bad. Yeah, not so great. Yeah. Not so great. Also, we are not eating dates right now. Um, I know a lot of people use dates as a sugar substitute when they give up sugar, but you can basically still eat the same amount of sugar that you had before just by using dates. And that's not going to fix the trouble with inflammation, and it's not going to fix the endocrine cascade. So no dates for us. Well, with one possible exception, which is we like to make these things sometimes where we take some dates, we stuff them with almonds, and then we wrap them in bacon... And then we bake them, and then we eat them, and we feel delighted. And <laughs> That's I, true. And it's one of our favorite things to take to a party. Yeah, it's pretty great. People love it. But, okay, so the, the reason this is a possible exception here is because when we consume sugars, or really carbohydrates in general, um, when we consume them in the context of a whole meal that includes fats and protein and fiber and whatever else, um, that actually reduces the glycemic index of the um, of the carbs in question. Uh, what that means is that it reduces the degree to which that food um, causes a spike in your blood sugar after consumption. Kind of like how fast it hits your system. Yeah, and this is pretty much the same uh, the same difference between drinking apple juice and eating an apple. 
when you drink apple juice, you get water and you get sugars and you get like a little bit of some uh, like vitamins, know, maybe some vitamins and some plant antioxidants and so on. Yeah, there's a bit in there. But the major thing that's that's missing is really the the fiber content, the bulk content there. Um, and you know, when you eat an apple, you have all of that, and so you kind of have to digest your way through each cellular pocket in order to access all of the sugar that's in there. And then it's all mixed in with that fiber anyway, and so you absorb it more slowly, and that's better for you. And if you take those dates and you just eat a date whole, then yeah, you, there's some fiber in the date. Okay, yeah. But there's also some sugar in there. And, you know, like there's a difference between date sugar and a date. Okay, so that's a yeah. step. But then when you add in some fat and some more protein and some more nut fiber and everything, then that's also um, going to slow down the rate at which those sugars are absorbed into your system. And so that's like a nice rolling hill on your blood sugar chart rather than a big peak followed by a sharp valley, um, <laughs> which is usually a great way to give yourself another strong sugar craving. Mm. And a lot of people get into that cycle where they eat things that are, you know, um, very sweet, very sugary, very carby. Their blood sugar spikes up real high and then it crashes down real low and then they get the need to or the feeling of need to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this actually points us to another strategy here if you do decide to go the reduction rather than elimination route with sugar, which is to make sure that you have your dessert right next to your meal. So rather than like having dinner and then waiting several hours and then having dessert probably close to your bedtime, yeah. um, instead to have your dessert right after dinner, which this is what we used to do when I was a kid. Was, yeah, right? it's a more traditional way of... It was like the way, yeah. you know? Um and, you know, plus it'll probably end up being a little smaller dessert anyway. Right, because you won't be so hungry. <laughs> yeah. And it's an intense, like you're, every time that you eat, basically you release insulin. Mm -hmm. So if you eat your dessert with dinner instead of waiting a couple hours, that's an entire insulin release that you don't, that you just skipped. So that's right. great. Yeah, you're consolidating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, now, a, that's a habit or a strategy that we use pretty much all the time. Um but uh, for now, we are trying to take the next step. Yeah. So So what does that mean? We are eating fruit. Uh, we're eating the occasional raisin, usually in a Moroccan-inspired recipe. Mm -hmm. um, and we're also including a ban on refined flours in this as well. So for us, that means no gluten-free toast, no, like, paleo muffins or whatever, um... Just nothing with, with flour. I mean, we, we don't eat gluten already, but, like, we certainly... I, I do love gluten-free toast. Yeah. And we definitely have, like, rice flour or tapioca or... Um, I like to make gluten-free waffles. And so we're not doing any of that right now. Yeah. None of that. No. So... So what um, are we doing? Yeah. Well, we're eating the things that are not to be avoided. We're eating the things that we enjoy. We're eating a lot of stuff. Um, we're eating... Meat and vegetables and fruits and fats and nuts. Yeah. And uh, that's all really awesome. Turns out that there are a lot of foods in the world. There are. <laughs> um, yeah. And many of them don't have any added sugar to begin with. So, yeah. So that's what. Um, and we're doing it with the support of some herbal friends. Yes. Yes. So a list that I really want to talk about here is cinnamon, schizandra, tulsi, nettle and friends... And it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't also mention ashwagandha. Um, and, you know, actually, I think most of these we have talked about at various times, but, um, but I want to talk about them specifically in the context of um, giving up sugar, of endocrine regulation, and, um, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So let's start with cinnamon. We're actually drinking a little cinnamon right now. Yes, a nice big cold infusion in, of cinnamon, which is really interesting because when you make a cold infusion of cinnamon, we've got just broken up cinnamon pieces at the bottom of a mason jar filled with cold water. And if you leave that set for a couple hours, it gets, um, you know, it, the, all the water becomes cinnamony. But towards the bottom, it also becomes quite mucilaginous. And... Um, sort of mucilaginous, you know, it's kind of slimy. And that's really interesting because you don't even have to strain it. The slime kind of holds all the cinnamon chips together at the bottom so that you can just <laughs> drink it and the cinnamon chips stay at the bottom. Although if you do get one every so often, 
they're pretty easy to chew once they've been soaking in water for a while, and they have a they have a sweetness. It's true. They yeah. do. Mm-hmm. It is kind of like a little piece of cinnamon candy when you when you eat one of them. Yeah, yeah. So you can make cinnamon this way. You can also make cinnamon in a hot infusion mm-hmm. or uh, even a decoction. Cinnamon is pretty amenable to various tea preparation methods. So that's really nice. And it's also easy to mix cinnamon in with other herbs that you enjoy. Um, or other herbs that you don't enjoy. Well, there's that. <laughs> there's that possibility. Because cinnamon will make them taste great. Yeah. So, so it tastes great. I mean, that's one thing to start with. It's just like... There's a lot of things that I like the flavor of that I'm not having right now. And now I'm having this thing that I like the flavor of. And that is a good place to start. But it is not the only magic, well, not magic, but superpower that cinnamon has. Right. Yeah. So cinnamon, um, as an herb, right, this is one of our plants that is warming and moistening. um, And that's an interesting pair. But in the context of blood sugar regulation, cinnamon does have some um, micro-level activity that is very interesting. Um, Cinnamon has been found to improve insulin sensitivity throughout the body, and that is the opposite of insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is a big problem. It's a problem that consuming lots of sugar is a strong contributor to or can, can induce in the body. And insulin resistance is at the foundation of a wide array of chronic diseases. It's most directly associated with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, because it's kind of the end result of insulin resistance is that Mm. you end up as a a type 2 diabetic. But for a lot of people, before they get there, um, or before they like qualify as as being a (laughs) a diabetic, there are a lot of other issues that are going to be induced by insulin resistance. Um, First of all, any inflammation in the body, once again, is going to be accelerated or enhanced when you're in an insulin-resistant state, in large part because the sugar isn't getting pulled out of the blood and into the cells where it belongs. Instead, it's just hanging around in the bloodstream where it can serve as as that kind of gasoline on the fires. Right, because when you're insulin-resistant, what that really means is insulin goes up to a cell and knocks on the door and says, hey, I've got some sugar here for you to burn up as fuel, and the cell doesn't open the door. It pretends it's not home and pretends it doesn't hear the doorbell, uh, sort of like when those uh, energy change your provider people (laughs) come and they ring your doorbell every day for a week or whatever, and you're like, not home right now, I'm not going to answer the door. (laughs) And uh, So that's what insulin resistance is. It's just, or kind of like, no, I I didn't see your text. Mm. You know, (laughs) that's what that is. Yeah. That's a spam filter. Just, just on a molecular level. Right. So, yeah, so cinnamon um, cinnamon helps to reverse that. Cinnamon helps to improve insulin sensitivity. It helps to make the cells more responsive to the insulin signal. And in so doing, it helps to reduce the amount of sugar in the blood. And, again, that was one of our, one of our major um, target points here. Yeah. yeah. You know, I do just want to make an explicit link um, Insulin resistance is tied, like you said, to so many um, chronic inflammatory issues, but one in particular is PCOS. And I draw that link out because some people have suggested PCOS as a podcast topic, and it's coming, but I just wanted to like give the little heads up that this is a, this yeah. is a key factor for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I mean, heart disease and cancer. Like so many things. Yeah. On and on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um... So there's certainly more to say about cinnamon, but if you'd like the full rundown, you should check out our Materia Medica course. Yes. Uh, We have, I think, 40 or so minutes all about cinnamon in there. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. a lot of studies that we cross-reference and other fun things. I particularly love that study they did in Pakistan. (laughs) Um, It's one of my favorite studies to reference because it's a really good study where they were working with cinnamon um, to manage type 2 diabetes and and the results were wildly successful and and so this does not mean if you are a person with type 2 diabetes and you're medicated this doesn't mean that oh okay they did a study in pakistan so i can just stop taking my metformin and just just work with cinnamon no 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 don't do that but it is something to research and talk to your doctor about and see if this if this might be part of an overall protocol that you can use to help you resensitize your body that could be 
really, yeah. really good. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right, well, we can talk about Schizandra for a minute. We can. I have talked about Schizandra a lot, especially in the context of dealing with sugar. Um, I had done an experiment taking um, Schizandra for 100 days a while back, and um, one of the sort of bonus effects that I found was that it really, really just curbed my sugar cravings. Um, And so if uh, fear of craving is one of the things that is standing between you and giving up sugar... Try Schizandra, and I would say start working up with it before the date that you have chosen to give up sugar. Oh, like, yeah, definitely. Because it's going to, like, I, I think that kicked in for me after about a week or 10 days. Yeah. Um, so make your plan, okay, on this date I'm going to give up sugar, but start taking Schizandra now. And you can drink it as tea, you can take it in tincture, you can just eat the berries, um, the dried berries is usually how you get that. Um, and you can order them from Mountain Rose or wherever. Um, but any, basically any way you get it into you, uh, one of the things that I have found, which I wasn't, you know, I was working with it for the liver support aspects and some other stuff. But what I found was like, Hey, the re and I have to tell you the way that I found this in case you don't remember from that podcast was that I had baked a cake and I mean, Cake never goes bad or is left uneaten in this house. But I baked a cake and it went bad. It like molded. And I like suddenly I realized, oh, my goodness, I baked a cake and did not inhale it. And then I was like, wow, schizandra. And I've redone that multiple times and it works every time. And we've talked to lots of people about it. So if you're worried about the cravings, work with schizandra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that herb, um, it, it does connect to one of the major issues with sugar, which is the endocrine system. Uh, schizandra is an adaptogen, mm. and those are herbs that operate in large part through the endocrine system um, or in support of the endocrine system to help improve communication between your different endocrine organs and actually all the tissues in your body that react to those hormones um, and to support them and make sure that they're able to function um, as, as well as they can. So um, that's that's part of how Schizandra is exerting those effects. Okay. Um, actually, that connects over to Tulsi. Uh, Tulsi is a uh, another adaptogen herb. It's a really fantastic plant that has a ton to recommend it. We talk about it all the time. Um, you probably... If you listen to our podcast regularly, you already know some of these things we're about Hopefully to say about Tulsi. Hopefully they're running right through your head right yeah, now. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. But here's the quick rundown, mm. sort of in your bullet point fashion. It is, uh, it is a mood booster. So if you're feeling cranky because you're not having your sweet treat, uh, Tulsi can help with that. Tulsi also helps curb cravings. Tulsi is another one that's really excellent for blood sugar regulation. And... Were we talking on the podcast or was it in a Q&A about a student who had who had been taking Tulsi as their herb of the month and just happened at the beginning of it to have a glucose, a, a blood sugar level test. And then after six weeks or so had another one and they hadn't done anything other than drink Tulsi every day. And that it had brought the blood glucose levels down, fasting glucose levels down. And this person wasn't diabetic, but it just happened. I can't remember why they mentioned that they had had that test. Um, maybe it was like insurance or something. I can't remember. But um, but they were really delighted to say, wow, this is like I hadn't done any dietary changes or anything else. And it's very interesting that that number came down. So that was really cool, and of course, that's just one data point. But there's lots of lots other, of like that. Yeah. yeah, lots right. of other um, points of data in that particular arena. Hmm. Plus, Tulsi, it's important to remember, has a lot of nutritive value too. Lots of minerals, lots of anti. I mean, all all of them have antioxidants, but. Um, we sort of, we, when we think about mineral content and vitamin content, we think about nettle usually just because that's sort of, 
the standout in that area. But a long infusion of Tulsi absolutely also has lots of minerals, lots of vitamins. So that's pretty great too. Yeah, indeed. And it tastes so good. <laughs> yes. So that's yes. really fantastic. You okay. know, speaking of it tastes so good and speaking of nettle, nettle and friends is another one that I really like to add in here. Um, and I am like, I don't know, the only herbalist in the world who doesn't love the flavor of nettles. Um, I can't be the only one. Uh, so if you're out there saying, I would drink more nettles, but it's just not very tasty. I'm actually with you on that. But if you add Tulsi and cinnamon, it becomes quite tasty. Um, and the reason that I've added nettle and friends into this is that um, when you are well nourished, overall cravings decline. Hmm. And sometimes it's hard to take the time to be well nourished. And if you set up a long infusion of nettle and friends the night, like at night before you go to bed, it only takes a few minutes. You put the kettle on, go brush your teeth. By the time you come back, the, the water is boiling. And you just fill up your mason jar, your quart jar, with your, with your nettle at the bottom and your tulsi and your cinnamon. And maybe you toss some dandelion leaf in there too. That's great. Um, and just leave it set overnight. In the morning, you just strain it into your water bottle, take it with you, drink it all day long. It's not adding much in terms of your to-do list, but it is adding a ton in terms of nutritive value. It is, it's like a super mega vitamin <laughs> in a, you know, whatever. So, so I find that when I am feeling really well nourished and especially in that mineral direction, I don't crave things nearly as much. I don't crave sugary things. I don't crave salty things. Just cravings overall go down when I'm well nourished. Plus, it's such a benefit for your kidneys. And when you nourish the kidneys, you nourish the adrenals because they live on top of the kidneys. They're like the soil that the kidneys grow in, or that the adrenals grow in. And, um, you know, Kathleen Meyer has talked a lot about nourishing kidney function to support endocrine disbalance and endocrine dysregulation and working through the kidneys for that. Um, and, you know, she's taught on that at a bunch of different conferences. She's done all kinds of workshops on it. And it's really, it's really an important strategy. So overall, whether you're just trying to cut sugar out because uh, you, it'll be healthier if you do, or whether you are trying directly to have a positive impact on an endocrine problem or on endocrine function in general, Nettle and Friends is playing a big role there. Yeah, really solid. Okay, um, and then ashwagandha, oh, because you, Gatti ashwagandha. loves it so much. <laughs> and because, again, it's another adaptogen, um, and it helps with regulation of cycle. Now, when we talk about ashwagandha, we usually speak mostly about your circadian rhythm and patterns of activity and restfulness. So um, working with ashwagandha to be more alert and energetic in the daytime and to be more able to rest and relax and sleep in the evenings. And um, that alone actually could go a long way towards regulating your blood sugar. Yeah. Um, but in the context of the experience of craving sugar or in the process of reducing your sugar intake and sort of rebalancing your internal environment, ashwagandha can be very helpful there as well. I also feel that, you know, ashwagandha, we talk about it a lot in terms of sleep and circadian rhythm and stuff like that. And I think one thing that I don't tend to focus on much is that ashwagandha is a performance enhancer. It is a plant that a lot of athletes work with. It does help your body just function better. And again, when I am functioning better, when I am sort of, um, I don't know, when all my pistons are firing on the, whatever analogy I'm trying to make here, I don't feel the need to satisfy myself with sugar nearly as much. So really overall, it's sort of like, you know, if you're a marathon runner, maybe you work with ashwagandha to help you with endurance and stamina and stuff like that. Well, you can consider giving up sugar kind of like a marathon. <laughs> and if you need some endurance and stamina and you need to be functioning at your peak so that you can get through this huge challenge, 
ashwagandha. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. Okay, so um, one other thing that I actually wanted to mention here is chewing on pieces of licorice or calamus. Um, and so this is a, a habit that I'm into. I like to carry a little tin of some chopped up roots uh, with me most places where I go. And these days I've, I usually have a, a combo in there of a little bit of Solomon seal, a little bit of licorice, a little bit of calamus. Um, one or two other things might come and, come and go in there. But the licorice and calamus are the ones that are most relevant to um, sugar and reducing sugar or craving sugar. Uh, both of them are helpful in kind of different ways. Licorice helps because it is sweet, um, but it's not, you know, glycemic. <laughs> uh, so you can say you're at work and you're and you're humming along on some project and you're starting to feel a little snacky maybe. Um, in that moment, you could um, get a little bit of licorice root and chew on that for a while, have the feeling of chewing something, have the feeling of tasting something sweet, and a lot of times that's enough to, to satisfy that momentary craving um, and allow you to, you know, push on until the next actual meal is going to come up. So that can be really nice. Um, calamus is a bit different. Calamus is a bitter herb, and bitter herbs in general do improve our glucose metabolism. So they're a good thing whether you reduce your sugar or not. Um, <laughs> but uh, calamus is a really nice one, and it's more about addressing some of the things that lead us to want sugar. So feelings of stress and anxiety and discomfort in the moment. Um, calamus is very good at calming and soothing and centering and bringing you into the present. Um, and the... Uh, the feeling then is that you're not so agitated and you're not looking for something to, to I don't know, to, to treat yourself with. Mm. So I find calamus to be very help, helpful there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I also want to mention a couple of supplements that can be helpful here. So we, um, we like supplements when they're useful. We like them when they're necessary. Um, we don't like to throw supplements at, at everybody all the time. There are a few that are useful for most people. Um, one of them there would be magnesium. And magnesium can be very helpful when you have sugar cravings, especially if you're somebody who's prone towards tension as an expression of your discomfort or stress or anxiety. Um, magnesium is a very common nutrient deficiency, and when you are deficient in magnesium, you're more likely to have dysregulated blood sugar and um, more intense cravings. So um, that works quite well um, on that regard. Um, and it's good for your body generally, and most people are deficient anyway, so there's little harm uh, potential with this supplement and a lot of potential benefits. So that's one that we often will recommend. Um, and then aside from that, uh, the supplement chromium is very particular to um, blood sugar regulation and sugar cravings in particular. Chromium basically acts to um, enhance the activity of insulin. And so this is another way that we're going to be improving insulin sensitivity, um, making sure your body is able to get the sugar where it needs to go uh, once you've ingested it and um, keep everything humming along the way that it's supposed to do. So we have found with a lot of, well, with ourselves actually, and with a number of students and clients, that uh, supplementation with chromium can be very helpful when we're trying to reduce sugar cravings. Um, uh, so yeah, that's one to consider as well. So another strategy that helps me a lot that isn't herbal, but is very effective, is to come up with a list of foods that I really like that don't have added sugar. And um, some of those for me are apples with almond butter, except instead of just plain almond butter, I augment it with coconut oil, and then I add finely chopped macadamia nuts, and then it is like super special and really delicious. You can put some cinnamon in there too if you want to, um, but that is a treat. And When you do it, is it like one part volume almond butter and a half part? coconut oil or a quarter Yeah, part? like maybe a quarter, uh -huh. maybe a quarter, and then as many macadamia nuts as I can possibly stir in. You chop, you chop them up first. I chop them up really fine and then um, stir them in until I can't possibly fit any more into the jar. Yeah, and then sometimes you add in cinnamon powder. Yep, you can add a little vanilla. Oh, yes. Like, 
ground not not vanilla liquid extract but like ground vanilla beans it's so good that's yeah it's gonna be super extravagant at that point that's the fancy stuff. but uh <laughs> yeah but it's like really awesome yeah really good I also like um, carrot and raisin salad, which um, maybe that's a acquired taste. I don't know. But it's carrot and raisin and some pineapple and mayonnaise and the, salt and The pepper. carrots are all shredded up. They're not like, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. like, shredded like chunks of carrot. Yeah. They're like shredded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really like that. But shredding carrots is kind of a pain, so I don't do it all the time. And I'll do it for you. Yeah, he hates mayonnaise, you guys. Well, he thinks the salad is gross. I, I like cinnamon. See, I like it up until you add the mayonnaise. I'm like, yeah, carrots, raisins, a little pineapple, whatever. I would probably put walnuts in there, you know. But, that sounds good, walnuts. But we don't need this mayonnaise nonsense. <laughs> but I think it's wonderful that he's always like, I will shred the carrots for you. It's okay. Aww. He also cleans out the blender when I make mayonnaise, you guys. <laughs> it's really lovely. Hmm. Um, okay, so also fruit salad. It's delicious. And I like to make coconut whipped cream, which is just you take a can of your favorite can of coconut milk, um, put it in the refrigerator, leave it in there like overnight or whatever. And the creamy part gets solid and the liquidy part stays liquid. And so when you open the can, you dump out the water part and you just keep the solid part. And do you put it in the fridge upside down? I do. So you then, don't have to, but I do. And then when you open it, you turn it back. You turn it over again, and then you and then take the lid off. Right. And yeah. And then you can just dump out all the There's water. There's just the water on top. Yeah. yeah and yeah, then yeah. you can get yeah. Right. So um, so I do that. I put in a little bit of cinnamon and uh, maybe like cardamom, a little nutmeg if you're feeling very fancy. And just whip it up, which is difficult at first because it's really hard. So you sort of just take your whisk and kind of mush it a little while until it gets to be something that you can whip. And then you whip it and it is really good. It's just whipped cream. Whip it good. Yes, you whip it good. Uh, So I really like that. Um, I like tuna salad with chopped apples. And if I'm feeling like I want lunch and dessert, it's like lunch and dessert all together. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> some people out there are like no Katya that is not like either of those things <laughs> <laughs> okay but I like it and it doesn't matter like you're gonna make your own list of what you like apples apples are a thing here right I mean for you they're always a thing yeah but but they are a thing for me um lately as we've been as we've been doing this sugar reduction and more broadly we've been doing a, a whole 30 mm-hmm. um so a lot of my kind of standard i want to snack on something foods are kind of off the off the list out of the house right now um and i am often reminding myself of this um, phrase if you're not hungry enough to eat an apple you're not actually hungry <laughs> and um so when I'm in the kitchen and I'm like, I've opened this cabinet three times and there's still no crackers in it. <laughs> uh, then I'm like, okay, let's go look at an apple and see if I bite it or not. <laughs> and that works out really well for me, actually. I can eat like four apples a day. Yeah. I love apples. They're pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. You can have pears, you guys. Pears are, <laughs> pears are pretty much the same thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. You like nuts and blackberries too. I do. I'm not into the fruit salad thing because then all all of everything's wet, and I'm I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like a, a little bunch of mixed nuts and some blackberries. That's just fantastic. Yeah, that's good. Or just like some coconut, um, like shreddy coconut. No, the chunks of coconut. Or what? actually, I like best is to get me a coconut and like drill the eyes out and drain the liquid and drink that and smash it with a hammer and like <laughs> like let you me let me let me not and... outsource my coconut opening yes power here like let's do that yeah um yeah and it's fresher and i don't know it's just great but yeah some coconut some blackberries yeah that's the way to go another thing that i find really helpful when you are changing the way that you eat is to intentionally try new recipes that sound very exciting to you And so one thing that I have been wanting to try for a kabillion years, and finally we're doing it, is um, tagine. And Tagine. Yes. It's a Moroccan food. It's a Moroccan food. It's a a Moroccan method. Well, a North African. It's not just Morocco, but yeah. Oh, yeah. And it is one of these pots. Ours has a cast iron bottom and a clay top, Um, but the lid is like a cone 
And so the juices... It's like closed on the top. Yeah, it's closed on the top. closed, yeah. Yeah, and the juices go up and then they drip back down again. And it's really cool. Um, And it's something that I have never eaten before. But I just loved the pot so much that I was like, (laughs) someday I'm going to get one of those. And um, so I decided that that was going to be a theme around um, giving up sugar was that I was going to learn how to make all the different... There's so many different kinds, like different recipes that that fall into the category of tagine and all different all different spices and, and whatever. But usually it's like chunks of meat, some chunks of vegetable, um, usually like maybe some raisins. And um, like at the end, you put slivered almonds on it and it's delicious. It's pretty exciting. So try trying something new. Is really because you're doing something different already. And you can either be sad that you're doing something different and you aren't having the thing you love, or you can be excited that you're trying something new that you've never had before. And it's like a flavor vacation. Yeah. Because when you go on vacation, you try all the new things. It's like that. Nice. Okay. So, you know, other things that are really helpful in this, in this project are to find ways to treat yourself that aren't sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And that, um, that's been a big part of my strategy, actually, um, is to just find different ways to build in self-care um, and, and to recognize that I use sugar to cope with difficult emotions. Um, I use it to fuel working too much. I use it to compensate for not taking time for self-care. You're not, you're not alone in this. No, I think, I I think that's what most people do. Yeah. And I mean, if we, if we look at, uh, at, at sugar and we say, why am I always eating this? Why am I always craving this? What is it that's, you know, pushing me in this direction? Um, it's easy, it's easy for us to beat ourselves up about it. And say, oh, I'm I'm bad. I don't have willpower. I don't yeah. have self control. You know all of this stuff. Um, but it's very much more useful to look at that experience and say, well, why is this happening? Like, what, what what physiologically is going on here? And to recognize, like, oh, wait a minute, I'm having a sugar craving. I'm probably stressed out right now. I'm possibly overtaxed. Maybe I'm underslept. Something is going on where my body is saying to me, I need you to give me fast, readily accessible fuel that I don't have to work too hard to process into something useful. Mm. And what does that mean, right? right? And again, it could be it could be any of a number of things. It probably is a number of things all coming together <laughs> in yeah. you, right? Yeah. A little bit of stress, a little bit of underslept, a little bit of, you know, maybe not as deeply nourished as you could have been. And um, that... That complex is what's driving that experience, right? And so you can give yourself a bit of a break. You can say, actually, uh, this, isn't, this isn't a problem. I'm, uh, uh, I'm not a bad person. <laughs> this happens to everybody. It happens to everybody. And, um, and also to look at the times when you felt that way and then you did eat a pile of sugar. So look at that too and to give yourself some slack and say, well... It was available to me. And it's really hard to fight hormones. You know, Mm -hmm. ask any teenager (laughs) or or don't really, but just remember your own teenage times and and look at them with your, with your adult brain. um, You know, if you, if you have one, if you're a teenager listening to this, then um, talk to some adults and ask them if they think that you're being completely reasonable. um, (laughs) See how that goes for you. But but no, it's literally true. It's I very. I think if you're a teenager and you're listening to this podcast, you might probably are taking you might control be pretty of your reasonable. life. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So points for you. But no, my my point here really is that it's hard to fight hormones, and you can try for a while. Um, but the idea that there's this reserve of willpower and you should always be able to draw on that to override your biology, yeah, that doesn't really work out too well. And you're more likely to just make yourself feel bad than you are to actually accomplish something effective there. So if we can recognize what our cravings mean, if we can recognize what our snacking habits indicate, then at that point we can start to make changes. Right. We can start to figure out a way to, to get out of, that, uh, out of that habit. Well, I think the key here is that 
all of these things that I'm describing um, are ways in which sugar is actually serving me. And, you know, sugar is serving me by helping me deal with a difficult emotion or helping me fuel working too much or helping me compensate for not taking time for self-care, whatever. And that's happening for you too. So if I'm going to remove it from my habits, I need to make sure that I'm filling the role that it's playing in my life with other things. Otherwise, what am I going to do when I'm feeling difficult emotions? Like that's still going to happen. And if I've decided I'm not eating sugar, then I, I should have a plan for what I'm going to do when that comes up. Or I should have a plan for what I'm going to do when I start feeling the effects of not taking time for self-care. If sugar is not going to be available to turn to, then I need to have some other kind of plan. And I think that is a far more compassionate way to look at the role that sugar is playing in our lives. And I don't just think it's compassionate. I also think that it is accurate. Yeah. It's more realistic. Yeah. So for me, um, one thing that I am uh, going to do or that I am doing to fill those roles is to start thinking about and working in the garden. Um, That is something that I normally try to just sort of shoehorn into my schedule, kind of like any other chore. Um, I don't really give it enough time. Um, I certainly don't give it as much time as I would like to because I do find it very enjoy- enjoyable and very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. But it it is sort of like, oh, right, that's something I have to do right now. Um, so on a day that I'm feeling stressed, instead of eating some sugar and then working anyway, I'm choosing to take a break and go outside and do something with plants. And yesterday that was to walk down to a place near the estuary Um here in Dorchester where there was a huge nettle patch in a place that's about to be mowed and digging up some little nettle babies to transplant into our garden, which makes me really happy. We rescued them. Yeah, I feel happy about it. I also downloaded a new yoga app on my phone called Down Dog, and I am um, just starting to experiment with it, but it's the same kind of idea. If I'm feeling stressed or frustrated, I can take 20 minutes and do some yoga instead of going to get sugar, which, frankly, going to get sugar probably takes me 20 minutes anyway. Because my usual go You're not so much into, like, tear open a candy bar from the stack. Right. No, I don't do that. <laughs> I did. That's not my thing. I like to go make a piece of t- gluten-free toast and put jam on it or, like, a dairy-free Nutella spread And by the time you get out all the stuff and you toast the bread and whatever, and then, okay, well, now I'm going to need a cup of tea. And, like, that's definitely 20 minutes. And And maybe I'll just check Twitter for a minute. Yeah, right? (laughs) Right? Well, now it's it's more than 20 minutes. (laughs) So Uh that's a really interesting thing to think about because I know that actually yoga serves me better than sugar. And going outside serves me better than sugar. But I say, oh, there's no time for that. I'll just have a treat and keep going. But if I'm honest, truthfully, the amount of time is probably the same. Yeah. So, uh, down dog instead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right, right. You know, um, as herbalists, uh, the other thing that we think (laughs) about a lot in this context is to have some herbal formulas ready to address the things that we commonly rely on sugar to help us cope with those things. So this can be whatever it is for you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This can be uh, a tea blend that you have. And when you're getting a sugar craving, you say, I'm just going to make myself a cup of this tea, see how I feel afterwards. Um, And it might be that 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 takes care of it for you, right? It could be Tulsi and cinnamon and maybe a little pinch of schizandra and, um, you know, something along those lines. Or it could just be uh, some herbs that make you feel calm and centered and relaxed and happy. So it could be like our everything is everything will be fine tea, yep. tea mix that we make a lot of yep. the times where that's going to have some Tulsi and some Rose and some Betony. Um, I don't know. And those are like the core. Goldenrod sometimes. Goldenrod sometimes. Go in it goes in there. But lemon balm sometimes. Yeah. Some days it's elderflower, you know, but these are all herbs that are in different ways and, and they each have their unique, you know, potency and everything. Um, but in different ways, they're all helping us to to center and to settle and to feel at peace. 
um, and to be less less agitated and less anxious. Mm. Um, and so frequently, that's the the feeling or the experience that's driving us to to want sugar. I right now just have a collection of tincture bottles right on my desk too. Mm-hmm. One of them has a formula that's based on blue vervain. Mm. Um, one of them is an everything will be fine formula. Uh, it's got sage and goldenrod with the Tulsi and rose and linden. Um, I don't know. I just have a I have a bottle of calamus. I just have a handful of things there. One of motherwort. Um, that are kind of well suited to where I'm at right now and kind of the emotions that I'm feeling right now and so that I can just grab one if I need it and just have a little bit right then. Nice. I would say that then the last part of this is just make your plan. Um, Make sure that you're really ready to do it. I mean, don't wait forever, but make your plan Plan out these different strategies, just like if you're going on a trip, you plan where you're going and how you're getting there and where you're going to stay. We're going to do the same kind of work for this. And if you are getting up to the wire and you're like, I just don't know if I can do this, one last little strategy in here that might sound crazy, but it it does really get you off on the right foot is (laughs) have yourself a nice fat Tuesday. So Fat Tuesday is a big celebration they do in New Orleans. Mardi Gras. Yeah, like right before Lent. And um, Lent is a time in the Catholic tradition where you give up a bunch of stuff. And so this is a region that was predominantly Catholic and they were having a big celebration before that started where they eat just ridiculous amounts of treats and whatever <laughs> so that you, you have this enormous feast like just a ridiculous feast before you go into this time of, of um, like sacrifice. And I find that really works if you're giving up sugar because just remember back when you were a kid on Halloween or whatever and you just ate ridiculous amounts of sugar and then you had a bellyache? If you're really worried that you're not going to be able to do this, then the night before you're going to give up sugar, eat a ridiculous amount of sugar and trust me, you'll feel so terrible the next morning that you'll be like, never mind, I am perfectly happy to give up sugar. <laughs> and that might be the thing that gives you the momentum to get through the first week or whatever until it sort of becomes, you know, get your plan in place. Don't do it with no plan at all, but get your plan in place. And then if you need that one little last send off, do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, a feast like that and also fasting um, these are these are to be exceptions to the rule, right? They're they're extremes that we um, we intentionally experience uh, in order that we can find it easier to keep to the middle path. Mm-hmm. But they only work that way if they're intentional. And the truth is that a lot of us, or a lot of a lot of us, yes, I include myself in this, <laughs> um, find it very easy in our society in our current food environment to um, fall into a relationship with sugar that's a lot closer to feasting than it is to the middle path. But it's unintentional feasting. It's It's, it's unintentional. It's like not mindful. Right. Yeah. And so when we we give this this advice that, you know, um, a feast can be a useful tool, you have to keep the feast intentional, right? Yeah. Um, You need to be uh, indulging with your whole self. You need to be fully present in, yeah. the, in the indulgence. Because yeah. otherwise, what's the point? Right? <laughs> like, you don't want this to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just going to have this, it's going to be great, I'm going to eat all that stuff, yeah, whatever. And, and your mind's kind of elsewhere. Or like, you're not paying attention. You're just sort of working on the computer and mindlessly your hand is going to your mouth with food mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. So, yeah, so bringing in mindfulness here is, is really key. And um, and I do think that, that that idea of having an occasional feast and an occasional fast and then keeping to the middle ground in between, that's that's the best way to go long term. It's just that we need to um, calibrate our understanding of the middle ground and recognize that the current food environment and the current, what is it, 140 pounds of sugar per person per year? Something like um, that. Is, is extraordinarily out of balance already. It is not the middle of way, yeah. Not even close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, hopefully uh, some of these herbs and some of these strategies and some of these um, ways of thinking about and framing the issue 
um, resonate with you and, and will be helpful to you um, as you embark on this. And as always, if you have experiences or thoughts or strategies that work really well for you with this issue, we would love to hear about them. Yes. Um, so feel free to reach out to us. You can always uh, contact us through our website, commonwealthherbs.com. Um, or on social media, Commonwealth Herbs everywhere. We're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you want to learn more about sugar and its effect on the body and everything else about food and your health, check out our holistic nutrition course at commonwealthherbs.com slash learn. Nice. All right, folks, that's it for this week's episode of the Holistic Herbalism Podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.